we, uh, this is the second time we've done a series entitled Headlines, and uh, this time we've decided to really kind of focus in on um, the, uh, some local news stories. I had a chance this week to uh, sit down with Danae King. She's a reporter at the Dispatch, and uh, she's done a couple stories on Central City Church, and so we uh, met a few times, and so I said, hey, could I uh, sit down with you? And it was kind of fun because uh, she doesn't usually get interviewed. She's usually interviewing people. She brought her notebook anyways uh, and didn't take any notes because I, I, did, I, I did all the question asking. And uh, I just asked her about her process and, and kind of, you know, what motivates her and how, how stories get published and why they write the stories that they do and kind of, you know, just kind of understanding as we kick off a series on headlines, what, what, how might that inform our conversation? Um, she said a lot of things, and I'll probably share a few bits uh, in the next com coming weeks, but one thing she talked about is she has a real heart for um, taking issues that are impacting our nation or maybe even our world and then kind of doing a local perspective on it. So, you know, immigration, for example, it's one of the things she covers as well as uh, faith and values. I immigration, huge national conversation, uh, but uh, what's happening locally? You know, so is there someone we can interview locally and hear their story and kind of, you know, and I, I like that because that's kind of, What's different about this year's headline series is we're talking about issues. All these issues are things that are happening, you know, that could be happening throughout the, the country and, and, and certainly even the world. But we're trying to do a local perspective. Um, so we're bringing in local individuals, experts, or uh, people who are a little more informed than myself, which is not hard, and uh, asking them to share some thoughts either in a presentation or a conversation. So today we got Hannah Estabrook. She's going to come up here just a little bit and share uh, as a, a coordinator of Catch Court, um, as well as uh, uh, um, leads a ministry for women who are caught in cycles of prostitution. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, last week we, um, we wanted a little bit of context. We want to kind of understand a little bit better uh, who we are and where we're at and, and, and around these issues. So we did a survey. We had about 57, we had, not about, we had 57 people fill out the survey. Our average attendance right now is around 100, so that's pretty good. It's more than half. Um, and uh, we didn't do a lot of social media push because I wanted mostly people's opinions who are actually going to be in worship, not just random friends of mine who uh, live on the other side of the country. So, um, you know, so we kind of just narrowed it down to people who either listen to the podcast or who were on church. So we had 57 responses. And uh, I want to share with you before we start the conversation what, what, what we found. Is that anyone interested in where, where things landed? Yeah? Yeah, we want to know? I was so nervous about this survey, and, and, and now I'm nervous to tell you the results, but that's okay. Um, the first question we asked is, um, well, first off, the four headlines, sorry, Max, uh, the four headlines we're going to be covering are, are this, human trafficking, sanctuary churches, opioid crisis, and gentrification. I'm going to talk a little bit about the 25th sanctuary churches. There's been some adjustments. I'll get to that in a second. But that was the, these were the four topics on the, on the survey. So the first thing is we asked, how uncomfortable do these issues make you? You know, like, does it make you uncomfortable? Or are you uneasy? Or are you like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's have a conversation. So here's how you responded to that first question. Um, bring up the slide. Um, blue is this makes me uneasy. Red is I'm not sure. And orange is bring it on. So you guys, uh, you're ready on all of them. You know, a little bit sanctuary churches. People are like, I don't know. <laughs> that, that could make me uncomfortable, but I'm not sure. Um, but generally speaking, uh, uh, for the most part, vast majority of people are like, no, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, those who put blue, I hope that you'll still be a part of our church uh, in the coming weeks. Um, the second question we asked is, how interested are you? You know, how interested are you in these topics? Do you want to learn more? Here's what you said. Um, blue is, I'm interested in learning more. Red, I'm not interested. And, and orange is, I'm fairly knowledgeable already. 
So, um, yeah, you, the, our community, a random sampling of 57 people, yeah, interested. Let's learn about this. That's really encouraging to me. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we don't pick our sermon series in isolation, but you always wonder, you know, whether people actually care about what we're talking about, you know. And you do. You want to learn, learn more about these, so we're going to do our best to try to talk about, uh, create some space to learn more about these things. The next one is, uh, how divided do you think Christians are regarding these topics? So this is a great, it's a great uh, question, uh, and here's what you said. So this was a little more complicated. Um, blue is fairly divided. So clearly, uh, when it comes to sanctuary churches, are you surprised that uh, you would say, maybe you're not divided on the issue, but as Christians in general, not necessarily even our church per se, I don't know, uh, we didn't ask it specifically for our church, but just Christians in general are fairly divided when it comes to sanctuary churches. A little divided uh, regarding gentrification and economic segregation, um, and then a little bit human trafficking, opioid. But I would say the one we're starting with, it, it, for the most part, it has the highest orange one, which is generally in agreement. And so generally speaking, Hannah, you have the easiest topic. We're saying Christians, you know, generally speaking, are in agreement uh, on how to respond to this. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Actually... Uh, two notes. First off, um, when it comes to sanctuary churches, I have to say this because you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna think I, you're gonna think I was a coward. I'm not. I'm a little bit of a coward. I'm not a coward, but I'm a little bit. We we finding an individual to come and speak about sanctuary churches specifically is a bit of a challenge, and this is logical because pastors of sanctuary churches. Sanctuary churches, if you're new with us, is a church that houses someone who would otherwise be deported. Deported, And so, you know, this is a big thing that's happening in Columbus. We're like the third highest state uh, for sanctuary churches or something like that. So it's a, it's a local news story. Um, finding someone to come, you know, pastors, they're busy on Sunday mornings, and uh, the person in sanctuary, well, they can't make it. And so it's a little tricky to find somebody. It was hard to find anyone, I think, because of what's happening in our communities right now. This is me completely speculating, friends. Um, people are just busy in that world of work, of immigration. It was hard to get a hold of anyone. Just two days ago, though, we did arrange a speaker um, from Chris, which is an organization in Columbus that works specifically with immigration and refugees. So the speaker for next week isn't going to be about sanctuary churches. It's going to be about immigration and refugee in general. But the not because I didn't want to deal with it as a topic. So we are going to still create a space for you to, for us to wrestle with that issue in particular. And it'll be, we're going to tell you the details, but uh, sometime later in September, October, we're arranging a meal. It'll probably be for about 12 people. So put it on your radar, look for the sign-up sheet if you're interested in this topic. Um, where we're going to sit down with Miriam, who is living in sanctuary at First English Lutheran Church. She's going to fix us dinner and then share her story through a translator and answer questions. So if you're interested in sitting down with someone who's in sanctuary, just learn, regardless of where you're at, if you're interested in just listening to another human share their story and answer questions, um, we're going to create some space for that, and it'll be a great, great introduction to that topic. But next week, we're going to do specifically just the bigger picture of immigration and refugee, which is still a controversial issue, but maybe less so than sanctuary churches in general. Today, with human trafficking, someone uh, we, we received a lot of comments, and someone said a comment specifically. They said that they feel like Christians are generally in agreement, but they, they added a caveat in the comment section. I want to, to share with you before we get into the conversation today. It said this. It said, I answered up above that I perceive the church to be generally in agreement about human trafficking as well as the opioid crisis. I have a caveat to add. I think Christians would generally agree that these things are bad and something needs to be done. I do think churches would quite differ quite a bit, however, in how comfortable they would feel or how welcoming they would be if people trapped in the middle of those issues 
showed up to their worship service for potluck. It's interesting. A worthwhile comment, don't you agree? Um, as we begin to walk into this series, I, I think it's a worthwhile thing to ponder and even wrestle with. For us, I think I'd certainly hope that in our community we'd be welcoming to all people. That is, I, I think generally speaking, we'd be, we would be, whether it be worship or a potluck, which we actually do, interestingly enough. Uh, I, I grew up in a traditional church. I was like, I never want to do a potluck, but we do them. I don't, they're cool again. Um, they weren't, and now it's like, you know, because there's all these, like, casseroles that no one wanted to eat, and now it's like, no, I want to show off this really healthy recipe, and I'm like, this is awesome. This is the best thing ever, so we'll do another one eventually. But it raises a really good point. What we believe about something, our opinion on how Christians should respond, don't, don't always line up with our action. And that's something that I think we should wrestle with. And I think so much of the Christian faith is moving from what we believe to actually living that out. And that's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for all of us, and it's an important thing. We asked a few other questions, and I'm going to do my best to share some of those themes and quotes. But I do let you know that I I might not quote everybody, so don't be offended. We we wouldn't have time for that. But um, one other question we asked was, um, where do you land politically and theologically? This is a controversial question. I wrestled with whether we should even ask it. But I thought it might be helpful for this conversation and for you know, just self-awareness as a church. So once again, 57 people, I think we had about 55 of those respond to this question. So most people who filled out the survey responded. And we asked, where do you fall politically? So on a scale of one to five, one being to the left and five being to the right, my, my left and right, not yours, um, left being more progressive politically and uh, right being more conservative politically, where do you fall on a scale of one to five? Do you, are you interested in the results? Here's, here's where we put ourselves on a political spectrum. Interesting. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very steep bell curve. But uh, bell curve nonetheless, I don't know. Is it maybe? I don't know. Um, you know, really, though, there's a, there's a certain level of diversity in our, in our community, uh, if you don't include that we had zero fives. Um, otherwise, there is a, a certain level of diversity. And um, we could talk more about, um, maybe I will talk more about why we didn't have any fives, but if you're a visitor and you're a five today, you are welcome here. Um, but uh, that's where we fell politically. I'm not going to provide too much commentary on it, but theologically, also interesting. Here, here, here's where we fall theologically. Um, <clears throat> not really good with graphs, but it, it's sort of, you know, less of a steep bell curve um, and a little bit even shift to the left. Now, If we're honest, this kind of diversity or even this kind of question probably makes us more uncomfortable than all the other topics included. That's why we threw it in there. Might as well do it while we're setting the the scene for controversy. Um, But even with this kind of diversity or or even just the differences or the divide that's happening in our nation where we have a really hard time talking to individuals who disagree with us, there's been a lot of memes that have said this. I, it, just because it's a meme doesn't mean it's not true. Where it says something along the lines of, we've really kind of decided not to talk about religion and politics, which has made us really bad at talking about religion and politics. And, and I think there's some truth to that. So we, we try to do that here a little bit, open up some space for controversy. But someone added a comment. Um, I framed this last week as this could be some divisive issues. They're really, for the most part, I don't think as divisive as I framed them, but I tried to set the bar really high so that we have lots of room to move. Um, this is what somebody said I thought was really wise. They said, emphasizing these matters as divisive suggests that we already know something and want to argue. 
I expect that few of us understand the complexity of the issues at stake. These matters can be an opportunity to learn and grow, not argue. I felt like that was really wise. In fact, I was meeting with someone in our church who's speaking into the conversation on opioids, and I mentioned this to her in the conversation, and uh, she was like, oh, yeah, that was my husband who wrote that. And I was like, well, he's very wise. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's a good place to start. So with that, without further ado, let's, let's learn. You know, let's just start with a blank slate, you know, complex issues. Let's spend some time learning. So Hannah, if you want to come on up, make sure we get your mic working. Check. There it is. I had to connect. I'm sufficiently nervous now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a stuff. you know, it's such a terrible introduction for then asking you to come up. But so. like my church, nobody sits in the front row, so that makes me feel a little more comfortable. You know, uh, trade secret. I usually put two chairs in the in the front of the front row, which no one sits in. But then people then sit in the actual front row. So if you wonder why sometimes there's two chairs, well, no one's going to sit there. No, they're not supposed to. But it makes the front row feel less like the front row which is not what we asked you to come here to speak about. Right. <laughs> um, later on, we're going to be doing a Q&A. If you have a question, in the meantime, you can, you can text it to me. I have it on my phone. This is not my phone number. This is our church's phone number. Uh, so you can save it in your phone as such. It's a Google phone number, so um, it kind of passes around over the life of our church who actually has access to it. But you can text it or call it. Um, and uh, I will have, uh, I'll be watching it a little bit later, so you can text at any point a question. For now, uh, Hannah, take a few seconds to uh, introduce yourself, and uh, yeah. Sure. So, hi. <laughs> um, sorry, I saw a friend. Um, my name's Hannah. I live in Franklinton, and I'm actually a pastor there of a small church faith community called the Franklinton Abbey. Um, I work for Catch Court, which I'll know we'll get into a little bit, and I live there. I live in Franklinton with my, with my husband and three dogs, so that's me. I shouldn't turn my mic off. It takes a second. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you, you're a coordinator for Catch Court. Uh, what's your role there? Tell us what this is. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're not even, no, none of us, you know, there might be some people who know sure. what it is, but maybe we don't know anything. Yeah, that's great. Um, Catch Court is a specialized docket in the Franklin County Municipal Court. Um, and it is, which some of you have probably never even heard of what a specialized docket is, right? So in the criminal justice system, um, there was this recognition that there were these populations of folks who were committing crimes um, really because there was some kind of unaddressed issue in their life. So we have, for example, drug courts. We have a couple of those here in Franklin County. We also have a mental health court and a veterans court. Um, to just treat these special populations as special populations who need some more treatment interventions and things like that along with the accountability piece. So they're all two-year programs and um, Catch Court is specific to women coming out of prostitution and, and sex trafficking. And then you do work outside the Catch Court as a pastor, as someone in ministry. Yeah. Um, you have sanctuary nights and maybe yeah. other things. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, one of the things that I, one of the projects I've been stewarding um, as, a, as a pastor in my faith community is what's called Sanctuary Night. And it is a drop-in center that we open up on Sullivan Avenue. 
actually it's the Lower Lights Ministries space. If you're familiar with that organization, they have a space at Sullivan in Cyprus, which if you're not familiar, Sullivan is kind of a hot spot in this city for prostitution. And uh, so we open up on Monday nights from 8 to 10. We offer a warm meal, clothing, hygiene items. Um, and I think most importantly, we just offer consistency and relationship. And so we've been doing that for a little over a year and a half. And women are often at our door right at 8 o'clock waiting for us to open. They, they've come to really rely on that. Um, and in some cases, we've been able to, uh, when they're interested, uh, transport them into treatment when they come in and say, you know, I'm ready to, to exit to get out of this situation. We're more than happy to do that, though we're not forcing that on anybody. Um, so that's, yeah, what we've been doing. The, so there's a, a variety of issues we can talk about, and we're going to dig into some of this as part of the education that we're doing. Um, catch court, when, when we were chatting, it's this thing, part of like what we call restorative justice, so tell us what restorative justice is and how that plays out in catch court, as you understand it. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, I don't know how familiar folks are with the, with the criminal justice system, but generally speaking, there's the traditional justice, uh, which is like a retributive justice, right, that says, like, you do the crime, you pay the time, right? You've heard that. And it, it's sort of this notion that it's this person's sole responsibility for the crime that they've committed, and therefore, you know, they pay the consequence um, I, I think a restorative justice model says that, you know, we've all been sort of complicit in the systems that have probably been a part of or setting this person up to, to for failure. And so the systems, the people, the community, are going to be a part of the restoration process. Uh, restorative justice doesn't happen without community. Um, it, it requires people to get involved. Um, and so instead of saying, you know, just go cycling through jail, we're actually um, trying to sort of figure out what, what does this person really need to be successful and to thrive? Well, one thing is they need community. So um, we all get to be a part of that process. What are, what are some of the other things? You said it's a two-year program. It's meant to help the individuals who are, are in cycles of prostitution kind of figure out what they need. What, what, give us some more details. What does that program yeah, look like? That's good. So in those two years... <laughs> Catchport is is the most difficult of all the specialized dockets, and that's in part because of the population we're serving has kind of the trifecta of mental health, um, substance use disorder, and extensive trauma. And so we ask that they um, come to court every single week for two years, which is a lot of coming to court, um, meeting with their probation officer, providing urine screens to make sure that they're you know, clean or working in that direction. Um, they're referred to residential treatment. Um, so they're in a place where their basic needs are met. Uh, you know, they're getting group and individual therapy, intensive care. Um, kind of, we tell them actually that your full-time job right now is yourself, caring for yourself, you know, your healing, your, uh, your treatment. Um, eventually that will include things like getting to a point where they're pursuing their further education or getting employment, um, all those other kinds of things. Uh, but court, I, I, I will just say, because we have lots of ideas, if we're not familiar with the court system, of what a courtroom is like. This is unlike any courtroom you've seen on television or imagined or been in. It's not Judge Judy. Uh, it's not. Okay. It's not even close. It's Judge Kids. Herbert, who's here, by the way. Oh, um, excellent. <laughs> hey. Yeah. It is, I tell Fantastic. people, yeah, I tell people it's like court plus family reunion plus 
group therapy yeah. kind of. it's it's a weird mix of like it feels like a party when you walk in because there are so many people we have a meal together before court um so many volunteers and members of our community that show up faithfully for these women and it's it's a tremendous thing to witness so so um w you know this on our little survey um it's a great way to share the survey before yours because really when it comes to divided this is this scored the lowest so you know i'm not gonna I'm not going to share that survey next week when we have people speaking on immigration. That would just be rude. Um, <laughs> like, we're, Christians are pretty divided over this issue. Can you present now, please? Um, but there is some debate uh, you shared with me briefly around criminalization, decriminalization. You know, help. You know, just if, just once again for education purposes, help us understand kind of what that conversation looks like, and maybe even, I mean, what your views are or whatever. Sure. So I, I think, understandably, the the debate in this sort of arena is around criminalization. There are definitely folks who would um, advocate for decriminalization of, of sex work. Um, they would argue that um, women make an empowered choice to engage in sex work and that we should not criminalize it because it's their autonomy and their, and their choice. And I understand that argument. I think there's um, a point to be made there. I just think that that... Um, the, the small, I think it's a very small fraction of women who are involved in sex work that um, do it in an empowered way. Uh, so this is an area where feminists are even split. There's a group of feminists that say all forms of sex work, including like, you know, um, strip clubs and pornography and all that kind of stuff, is, uh, you know, objectifying and demeaning and it should all be abolished. Uh, and then there's kind of the group that, again, argues for um, decriminalization and, and this as this as empowering. Um, I my leaning. I'm a clinician. <laughs> is I agree with the traumatologists, people who study trauma, uh, who who have in every in so many studies, uh, it's very clear that the high a high, very high percentage of women uh, involved in some kind of sex work have histories of extensive trauma, child sexual abuse. Uh, in fact, one researcher refers to child sexual abuse as boot camp for prostitution. It's just so clear in the literature. And, and so I think it's hard to make an argument that that's an empowered choice when you've got all this trauma out there. And so, again, I can... Uh, and to be fair, um, the thing that really informs my view the most is you know, are the hundreds of women that I've interacted with and who have, who have said to me, um, you know, I didn't get into this because I wanted to, and I would never have gotten out if I hadn't been arrested. Mm. There, there's this, um, I, won't, I won't get too far into this, but there's a, something called trauma bonding, you know, where these women are, t are truly emotionally attached to not only a substance, but to usually a person or a sense of family on the streets. Um, and, and that is a really hard attachment to break. And often, if they don't have a, br have a true break, either through some kind of arrest or um, engagement with the criminal justice system, uh, they're not going to be able to, to, to actually exit. And so I, I just view, um, though I hate to see women in jail for something that they didn't you know, choose on their own, uh, it seems to me that the best response is to help them engage with us. Um, and then we're going to treat you like a human being. Um, we're going to help you, and then we'll figure out how to clear your record <laughs> um, so that this isn't holding you back for the rest of your life. And they're able to clear their record? There's yeah. what's 
Yeah, so there is a human trafficking expungement law, and it's been recently updated last year so that um, all kinds of crimes, basically without, except for like murder and rape, can be expunged if, if it can be proven that it was under human trafficking. Um, so how big is the problem here in Columbus? And you know, I don't know what numbers you can share or anecdotal evidence or whatever, but what are we, what are we talking about here? What is, help, help us understand the, the, the scope of this. So obviously it's hard to um, fully answer that question simply because like, like all criminal behavior, there's an underground sort of element to it, you know, and uh, most folks involved in, <laughs> in criminal behavior aren't like responding to, you know, research questions. Um, so who knows is, is my first response to that. What I can tell you is that um, over the last several years, what we see in Franklin County is, a, is about 12 to 1,500 arrests for prostitution every year. Um, so again, that doesn't capture all of it because there's lots of it happening where it's not being discovered or caught or whatever, um, but that hopefully gives you a little bit of a sense. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna actually jump into and do some biblical reflection because we are at church, friends, and uh, it's gonna this is kind of replacing our sermon, so we're gonna spin in a passage that uh, Hannah actually picked out, and, and we're going to read it and then discuss it together um, as part of the sermon. Before we do, um, can you speak a little bit, this is what, I didn't include this in my notes ahead of time, can you speak a little bit like, um, what are some of the factors at play? Where does human trafficking prostitution interact with drug abuse? You mentioned a little bit trauma, but are there some other issues that are at play that can help us get the bigger picture of what's happening? I'm actually glad you asked that question, though I wasn't prepared for it, because I think some of the issues that you're going to be engaging over the next few weeks um, do intersect with each other. And there's no question that, um, particularly I'll say, human trafficking intersects with the opioid crisis, in that the, po the powerful addiction of opioids um, becomes an incredibly um, <laughs> important tool in a trafficker's toolbox. If you can get a woman hooked um, on opioids, um, she'll probably do anything <laughs> for you, right? And so there's a strong, every, every single woman in catch court has a substance use disorder, and the majority of those are um, coming out of, you know, heroin and opiate addiction. We're going to, um, you can be thinking about questions. We'll have a chance here uh, in a little bit. Um, we'll spend a few moments uh, just in some biblical reflection. I mean, this is an issue that's, you know, just a huge theme in the Gospels, um, really the scriptures in general, but specifically the Gospels and the life of Jesus. This is something that um, maybe other issues Jesus doesn't talk about, but this is a big one for Jesus. Um, and so we're going to look at uh, one of your favorite passages I asked you and you shared. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can pull it out. We're going to read it. It won't be on the screen. I'll read it, and then we'll, um, we'll just have some conversation around it. Um, it's Luke chapter 7. Verses 36 to 50. So Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. Um, I'm going to read it, and uh, I encourage you, uh, as we kind of hear, we had a little bit of context. We kind of, here's what's happening in our city. I, I encourage you to take some time and use this as a, as a form of worship where you can hear the word of God being read and uh, allow God to speak to you even in the midst of, of this reading of this passage. Luke 7, 36 to 50. Here's what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, as she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. Uh, Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word and the ways in which it speaks to us today. We give you thanks especially today for the example of your son who came and lived amongst us and showed us uh, a different way of living, a different way of interacting, and a different way of handling tense situations, especially when they involve people who you love. We ask that your word would speak to us today in your name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's talk about this. I guess, you know, one of the first questions, and I didn't put this down, but wh- wh- why do you love this passage? Why, when I asked why did this passage come up, I think it's pretty, I mean, it's relatively uh, clear, but uh, what, uh, what are your thoughts, initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've loved this passage for, for many years, and I, I, in fact, recently I did some digging through old journals. I've been like writing since I was like 10 years old. And the amount of times that this passage came up in my journal from like age 12 on is like ridiculous. <laughs> um, and I think it's really because, you know, we don't know her name, but I've just always felt a kinship with this woman who is audacious and a little um, scandalous and totally in love with Jesus. And she's totally scandalous. Yeah. 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 You, you know, the, the washing of the feet, the letting down of your hair, not casual behavior in this culture. It's very scandalous behavior. could be sexualized type of behavior. So it's very like, what is she doing in front of all these people? Yeah, and I, I just... I think that I really believe if I didn't have some of the privilege and, um, you know, access to resources and things that I've needed along my life, like, I I could have been one of the women who's in catch court. I could be walking on Sullivan Avenue this morning. I could be this, this woman who's just known as an immoral woman. Immoral woman, it doesn't feel, um, she doesn't feel that far from me. <laughs> you know, she heard Jesus was eating at somebody's house. Of course, eating at somebody's house in this time would have been more of a public affair. It would have been a courtyard. So you, th- people would have been gathered maybe watching this dinner happening. It wouldn't be like dinners today where it's like 
in some big house behind a gated fence. It would be a, a little bit more public. So she hears about it. She goes over there. And I'm asking, so something about Jesus, she felt like she could go and interact with Jesus even during this meal. What about Jesus made Jesus so attractive? And I'm asking specifically, based on your experience as someone who's creating a space, you're not requiring people. Catch court is one thing, but the space that you're creating, people are coming, I'm assuming, free, of their own free will. What about Jesus and what about that space is attract, like, attracting them or making them like, no, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to go sit with these people? That's a good question. And um, hmm, I, I think the word that comes to my mind is hospitality, like that there's this sense of being a truly hospitable space and a hospitable person um, is you know, a judgment-free zone. It's it's a, you know, I heard recently the importance, like, with, with raising kids of, like, your facial expression, you know, and how, like, when your kid enters the room, like, to have a facial expression that communicates delight. And I think that these women experience that when they come into our drop-in center. Like, we know their names. We're so excited to see them. And I think, I, I just imagine that this woman has met the gaze of Jesus before this moment and noticed something about being seen by him in a way that was she'd never been seen before and that's what he says he says to the Pharisee. he's looking at the woman but he says to the pharisee do you see her and you yeah. brought you pointed that out when we were chatting earlier so t tell me what what is how do you see that what, yeah. what's your interpretation of that or what does that mean to you it's a ridiculous question yeah. i mean it's a completely ridiculous question because i think you know i imagine um a space with like religious folk dressed up kind of fancy, having a fancy dinner party. Um, and a woman comes in who we know is breaking open a bottle of perfume. Okay, so that's going to smell. She is weeping. So that's going to have a quite a sound to it. Um, and she's letting down her hair, which is scandalous. So she's making a scene. I mean, imagine that happening right now in this building. And we're not even that fancy. You know, we're coming to church in jeans, right? Um, I almost put on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's so ridiculous because it's like, Jesus, there's no way I don't see her, smell her, hear her. I'm very aware of her presence because she's making it very, you know, making it very aware. But she's making it, she's making a scene. Yeah. She's totally, totally making it. She's scene. not like I cried one in a corner. No, she's yeah. she has enough tears that she's using it. Totally. As like water. As water. Yeah. This and, is a big And so, deal. yeah, when Jesus asked this question, do you see this woman? I think it's just kind of funny. You know, I mean, it is. And, and I think clearly um, he is pointing to the fact that he's seeing her in a way that no one else is seeing her. Um, and I, I just think that that's the invitation to all of us because I know that for me, you know, 10 years ago, if I were driving down Sullivan Avenue, I might make up a lot of stories about the women who I see standing on the corners and the women who are out there. Um, and they wouldn't be nice stories. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and yet, I just, again, I feel the invitation to all of us is do you really see these women? Um, so I think that's why that question is so powerful to me. So share a little bit, um, uh, where do you see your ministry, I mean, um, headed or uh, specifically the work you're doing um, from a faith place. Speak a little bit to that. Maybe even if you want to, we can get into a little bit of how people can get involved. While you do that, I'm going to scan the like 20 text messages you all sent and see what questions we can spend a little bit of time on. I love it. 
Yeah, so I think it's been clear, it's become clear over the last few months that um, a two hour a week drop-in center is sort of insufficient. That women want to exit the life uh, not always on Mondays between 8 and 10 p.m., <laughs> you know. Um, and so as I've been just sitting with that burden and praying about it, and to be honest with you, I've been kind of advocating. I've been a voice in the community for a full-time drop-in center for a long time, um, hoping that someone would get it done. And um, it's not happened. <laughs> and so as, again, as I've just continued to pray and discern, I, I just felt the invitation of maybe maybe I'm going to get it done. <laughs> so, um, so I started talking with some folks about that possibility, and I'm still sort of fairly early on. Um, again, I, I had mentioned earlier, we use the space that Lower Lights has. Uh, they We asked if we could expand in that space, and they told us that, you know, they needed their space, naturally. <laughs> um, so they weren't able to extend our hours. Uh, so what has happened is that my faith community has purchased a building on Sullivan, just a few blocks uh, west of where we currently are. Um, and we're going to be entering a season of, it's a, it's a, it needs a ton of work. <laughs> so, yeah, so in this next season, we're going to be doing a lot of fundraising and a lot of uh, sweat equity, getting in there, tearing down some walls, rebuilding some walls. And uh, one thing that's really beautiful about this is that I have a lot of survivors, women who have exited the life, who volunteer at this drop-in center, and who inform every step of the way for me. So every step of the way I've asked for their input. And one woman I sat down with and I was telling her about the building and, and she just, tears came in her eyes. And I said, what's going on? And she just said, Hannah, I have turned tricks in that building. I have shot up dope in that building. I have done drug deals in that building. And it was just like so, it was just this moment where we knew um, God is redeeming this building uh, and the story on Sullivan Avenue. And we're really excited to be a part of that. So it'll be several months uh, before, you know, well, probably it'll be a long time before we get to 24 hours. But hopefully we'll, once we get into that space, we'll be able to be more open. And just for some additional context, you know, this is happening down the street from our free store. So if you've ever supported or, you know, we have, and I'm sure we have, families who are coming to our free store. Mutual clients. Mut yeah, who are experiencing some element of this, and uh, we don't always know, or we don't, you know, but it's, they're, they're coming for baby clothes, they're coming for diapers uh, down the street, up West Park Avenue, just north north of Sullivan, I think, yeah. So, this is not only a significant issue in our city, but this is something that we're, you know, it's an issue that's important, especially for our free store volunteers, et cetera. So we have a handful of questions. I'm going to be just conscious of time. So we go usually an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. So we have about 15 minutes before we're done. We still have a closing song we want to do. So we have about 10 minutes that we'll spend, and we'll try to tackle some of these. Um, you know, but you're available uh, for conversation other times. And yes. uh, we can, uh, just in case we don't get to it, one of the cards is an action step um, or take action. There's a variety of check boxes. So if you learn more, if you're interested in giving to the work Hannah's doing, if you're interested in a training uh, that I know that, that a few of our community have done. She has a name training. Um, we almost, uh, we were in conversation to bring, we ended up having you come, but that, that I'm sure they would have been great as well. Um, and so there's a variety of ways that you can take action. So that's available. You, you, hopefully you have it. Fill it out. Put it in the Dropbox or take it to the guest table, and we'll make sure that the appropriate information gets to where it needs to be if you're interested in any of those things. So um, let's talk a little bit briefly. Um, let's talk a little bit about 
what's the city's focus on stopping traffickers, not just those being trafficked? Um, and how do people traffic other people? Like, what? Why does that happen? And I might add into as well um, the Johns or whatever the the correct way to refer to guys who are using prostitution. What's what's that? What's happening on that side, not just the women? Do you have any thoughts no, on that? No, it's great. Um, it, I mean, it's not it's not my area, but I can say a few things about it. Um, so, the city of Columbus, Columbus Police, has a human trafficking task force. Um, so there are six people on that task force, and um, they are working very hard. Um, those cases take a long time to build, like in terms of the investigative work that is needed. So it's pretty easy to, um, you know, catch a John or a woman in prostitution. It's not so easy to catch a trafficker. So those, um, so you don't hear about those cases as often, right? Um, but I think, you know, there's some movement, and hopefully you'll you'll hear hear more, you know. Um, I do think that law, actually, we had a meeting this week with law enforcement, a lot of officials who are very knowledgeable about all of this and who really, you know, there's been obviously a lot of the news stories of the last year have been about the vice unit and some of their um, mistakes. And, um, but I'm super encouraged that um, having just, again, some interactions this week, that was strange. Uh, with law enforcement who really get it um, and and I think really want to target the demand side a little bit more. Um, so there will be probably some sting operations that target more buyers um, of sex rather than sellers. I'm trying to think if I covered all your questions there. Probably not. A great job. Okay. Talk a little bit about um, Specifically, okay, so what are trauma-informed practices that w we should be aware of as a community? How do we learn that? But also, like, how do we as an everyday person, you know, wh what's our role in this? Yeah. Like, I'm especially individuals who maybe aren't driving up Sullivan yeah. for any particular reason or, in, you know, engaged in any of the practices. Don't buy sex. Um, just in case it needed to be said, yeah. you know, if you think it's just, and, and I'll insert. Yeah, not so. Insert. Don't buy sex, okay? Yeah. So we're not talking just pulling up Sullivan and picking someone up. We're not, we're talking online. Correct. We're talking pornography, uh -huh. strip clubs, this bit larger sex industry. That's right. And and there's there's and I'm s talking now as a guy, okay? So there's an immense amount of shame around all of that, and it's its own form of addiction. And so I'm just telling you, as as your pastor, if this is something that and I'm, from personal experience, it's something that you're carrying a lot of shame around and you're, you're struggling with it and you, you just don't feel like you can talk to anyone about it. Come talk to me. I will share my story with you. You can share your story and we can move forward. But so don't buy sex is like, let's not participate in this sex industry yeah. in, in any way. Yeah. And maybe even to, to back that up, the, the, what we, do, we don't have a ton of data, but the John School data that the Franklin County has, um, prosecutor's office does the John School. Um, you know, some of the biggest factors leading up to, uh, you know, buying sex have been things like depression and loneliness and marital problems. So, like, if you have those things, just pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, because there are things that you, you can reach do. Out. Yeah, and reach out. Exactly. Yeah. Because we've all, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know of many people who don't struggle with one of those things. That's right. Anxiety, depression, marital problems. I mean, these are all, like, very common That's right. experiences That's right. in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget now, oh, uh, what else can you do? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I define generosity as just sort of asking the question, 
what do I have to give? And if you're someone who you just feel like a stirring of like, man, I really care about this issue and I really feel a sense of invitation to get involved in some way, um, then maybe ask that question, what do I have to give? For some of you, that will be money. For some of you, that will be time. For some of you, that might be a particular skill or some gift that you have that you can give. And um, I guarantee you, I can probably use whatever of those things you have. Um, not myself personally, but like I could plug you in with folks that are doing wonderful work in this in this city. Um, so, and, and then I would say, you know, specifically around, you know, if you're driving down Sullivan, um, you know, just saying a prayer and just, uh, you know, kind of reminding yourself of this question, of, of Jesus's question, do you see this woman, and, and praying over her and her future, and I don't think that, like, for the average person, we should all be, like, pulling over, and particularly men, FYI, um, to say, like, hey, how can I help you? It, it is quite possible that that could be dangerous for you or for her, um, so I always recommend it before you do, like, any direct service of any kind, to do to get more training first, and so there is the she has a name training. The next one is coming up in November, um, and then there are you know more trainings from there. Um, this one, this one's actually really uh, a question that I wrestle with. So they say I drive down Sullivan daily. How do I best help someone involved in sex work without endangering them or myself? I've seen women clearly under the influence or in the throes of withdrawal, flagging me down. I want to be able to stop and help, but I'm worried about getting pulled over or flagged for solicitation. That's a great question. Um, I get. I mean, I. Yeah. You know, there's a particular corner there for. Yeah. For a while, where it was like every time I stopped at that corner. Yes. Uh, someone came up to the truck. That's right. And especially when I'm driving the big church truck, the big black truck, something about that. But. Um. So I'll just be really clear here that I think if you're a dude, um, you don't need to stop. Um, even if you have like this, the most beautiful heart, and you see these women accurately, and you care for them, and you want to help, if you're alone in your vehicle. I would just say, like, pray for them and keep driving. So um, you're saying we're not Jesus, and so no. we shouldn't yeah. just let her wash And Jesus feet. wasn't alone with that woman. That's fair. <laughs> just saying. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I just don't think, uh, not that you're necessarily at risk for being arrested, but it's just more, uh, it's just complicated. And, and I, don't, I don't want to see my brothers in that situation. So if you have your you know, female partner or friend in the car, or if you're a woman, I think there could be an invitation to just you know, say, hey, hello, how are you? Is there anything that you need? Um, Sister Nadine is a boss. She's just, I wanna be her you know, when I grow up, for sure. Um, but you know, she would tell you to like, keep bags of you know, food that you can pass out to these women, or um, she, <laughs> this is just like, this is the kind of stuff she thinks of. She has like a cooler of like little washcloths that are like wet in little baggies. And she just passes those out. And I can't, I could tell you, like these women love them because it's like hot out there and they're walking all day. And um, they just get this little cold, wet washcloth. And you'd think you handed them like a whole ice cream cake. I mean, it's amazing. Um, so there, those kinds of little things you you probably could do um, if you if you're a person who has you know time to think about that. But um, but yeah. yeah. And I would and I would say if if you're interested in making a difference, don't of course don't do it alone. Get engaged in a ministry. So fill out the connect card. Come to the free store. Come to Little Bottoms. If that's a great place. But get in touch with Hannah. Do, she has a name training. Do it a part of a more organized thing. It's just going to be better. 
for everyone. And, and, and there's training involved, and it's about, you know, best practices and all of these things that are really important. So it's really good. Uh, um, uh, what, maybe briefly, I don't know if you can, what got you into this work? Another question from the back. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so kind of a long story, but kind of the, the important pieces are that I was sexually abused as a child. I think that's um, important because, again, most of these women have that experience. I My path was paved for me, though. I had, again, resources, access. Um, I got counseling when I needed it, you know, et cetera. But I think I've always understood that women engaged in this had stories like mine on, on some level. And I just, again, felt that kinship. So there was that. But honestly, there's just been this clear tra trajectory of my whole life. I mean, I, I remember being in college and doing my first street outreach uh, in Dayton um, to women on the streets. I remember, you know, going to... Cambodia, and I really wanted to meet this woman who started a program for women exiting prostitution. And I was like ready to move to Cambodia. <laughs> and she was like, you know, you got this in Ohio too, right? <laughs> and I was like, huh? <laughs> um, and so, and then yeah, I remember saying, naming in college to, to my professors, I was getting my useless degree in psychology, you know, what did I wanna do? I wanna work with prostitutes, you know? And I didn't even think of it as human trafficking then. I just thought of it as like these women have dignity and worth and value, and I want I want to do anything I can to be with them and communicate that. And um, and then I can just see the Lord's hand. Like I went to grad school. I my a lot of my professional work focused in substance use, which I didn't see the connection at the time, but now is it abundantly clear to me that I really needed those years just working with folks in addiction um, to understand what these women were going through and facing. Um, I worked for an organization in San Diego for a little while, counseling victims of trafficking as they were coming out. And so when I moved back to Columbus, um, I was pretty immediately looking for how to get, in, get involved. And I did, you know, she has a name and Corsi and all the things I recommend to other people. And then it just went from there. Friends, there were so many other questions, and, and maybe maybe I can even send them to you, and we can post them on a blog or, or something. Happy to. Yeah, and so you might have even texted after I was looking, and so I, I didn't get it, and so my apologies. But uh, be sure to fill out the, connect, the, the action, take action card if you want to learn more, um, and maybe we can get some of the questions answered in written form. Um, I didn't ask you this ahead of time. Would it be appropriate to just pray for you and the work that you do? Yes. Would that be all right? Um, we, while we do that, uh, I'm going to invite the band to come up and get ready for our closing song. So um, let's pray. If you would, if, you're, if you'd be willing, just if you extend your hand towards Hannah and, um, as we uh, lift her up and the difficult work that she has. God, we give you thanks. Um, we give you thanks that even in the most dark, um, difficult places that you are mysterious and hard ways calling uh, people like Hannah to to be a light and to make a difference. We give you thanks for her heart. We ask that you would protect her um, as she begins to continue to work in a, in a world that's difficult and with, with women who have um, who are in desperate need of your forgiveness and, and, and love and, and that they might experience uh, the dignity that they truly to have, and that you would help us all 
shift our hearts from being like Simon the Pharisee who can't see to being able to truly see, not just notice, but be able to see people for who you've created them to be. So we ask for your protection and for your guidance and your blessing on Hannah and the work that she does. In your name we pray. All of God's people say, amen. Can you please stand and join us for our closing song?